Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Molino bailey I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute. Thank you so much for being with us this week. And we have two very special guests, Amelia Dennis and Dr. Jane Ogden. Dr. Ogden is a professor in health psychology at the University of Surrey, UK. She has published over 200 research papers and eight books and teaches a range of students to think more psychologically about health. Amelia Dennis is her PhD student and is focused on researching attachment theory and nostalgia. So thank you ladies both being with us here today. We're very excited to have you on the Barrier Breakdown. Could you begin um, by talking to us and letting us know uh, a little bit about the research that you've done related to the COVID-19 lockdown. Yeah, Um, so what we did was we recruited 261 females at the beginning. So it was in during lockdown one, so between April and May. And um, these participants were randomly assigned to one of four conditions. So it was either the nostalgia, condition where they were asked to think about a nostalgic event in the past, um, the gratitude condition where they were asked to think about three good things, um, or the best possible self condition where they were asked to think about their their best possible future, um, or the control condition where they were asked to recall a TV program. Um, And then afterwards we, um, well the participants reported on their um, well-being, so social connectedness, self-esteem, and then their positive affect and negative affect. And what we found was that participants in the best possible self condition and the gratitude condition reported higher social connectedness than participants in the nostalgia condition. And then that participants in the best possible self condition reported higher positive affect than participants in the nostalgia condition. Great. Uh, and so where do you see the, this research informing uh, clinicians uh, on, the, on the micro level? So uh, in, in sessions, what, what do you suggest uh, as this pandemic continues on? <laughs> um, well, I guess that it's not sometimes the best thing to think about the past, because then sometimes I guess what we do is we compare the present to the past. Um, and especially during a pandemic where we've lost so much social interaction, they might just see the things that we've lost and not think about those things that will come back in the future or things that we have in the present. Okay. So if I hear you right, kind of the real focus is, is kind of hope to the future rather than uh, ruminating about the past is kind of the way to go. And also finding benefit in the present as well. So I think the two things which came out of it that worked the best was finding gratitude in the here and now, and then also focusing on the future to find hope. So and I think Amelia's just done another study actually looking at um, what happens now in lockdown three. And I think probably as time goes on, um, it's more and more important to focus on the here and now and also to focus on, on the future really and, and not think about the past. It's a bit like adaptation to chronic conditions in some ways, is the longer you have a chronic condition, the better it is to kind of move into a state of acceptance um, and present moment thinking and gratitude for the here and now rather than trying to necessarily change things all the time. And I guess this, now this has been going on for a whole year. That seems to be kind of even more meaningful, really, that the best thing now is to kind of make the most of the here and now and just to kind of 
hold on to some kind of hope um, that things are going to get better. So with Dr. Ogden, I hear a lot of fear about people talking about this fatigue and just kind of throwing the hands up and kind of giving up. What I hear you saying is actually uh, maybe over time with acceptance, uh, more people are likely to do better with it on a psychological level in, in, a, in a sense. And it seems parallel to some things we see in the media of late. Or yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, it's obviously important to fight and to struggle in your life and to try and make things better. But sometimes there are things that you can't actually struggle and fight against. So there is something to be said for acceptance um, and adaptation and and kind of, you know, living in the here and now and realising that this is the way it's going to be for a little while and then finding coping strategies to try and make that better in the here and now rather than just wishing it was over. And I think when people are really struggling, it's because it is going on for a long time. So their initial coping strategies, perhaps they were finding ways of managing it, um, which were working perhaps in the short term. But as it's gone on and on and on, when we've been in lockdown now for, for quite a long time in the UK, and we've had you know periods of quite prolonged lockdown already. And as it's gone on, it's, it's harder for people to carry on with the ways that they were coping because those, those aren't working for them anyway in the, in the same way that they were before. Did any other themes emerge from the research? I mean, I think the other thing that Amelia maybe talk about is the, the benefits of doing this in a repeated way. So her initial study was just a short off, one-off intervention for two minutes, but she's also just done a study really, which talks about doing kind of repeated um, gratitude interventions, doesn't it? Yeah, so what we found from that was actually when you repeat it, um, you get more benefits, not in terms of social connectedness, those, those don't seem to last very long, but in terms of fear of COVID-19, that seems to have, quite um, a larger effect as you repeatedly um, engage with either of the interventions, so nostalgia, gratitude, or best possible self. Interesting. Do you see the, the vaccine and sort of the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, with the vaccine rollout coming as something that is helpful or is that fear still crippling for, for people when it comes to the lockdowns? I think what the vaccine done, has done in the UK particularly is, is given us a kind of a future orientation to kind of have a sense that this will actually be over at some point that we were probably beginning to forget about really or, or given up on <laughs> a little bit, particularly as kind of Christmas came and it just felt like a whole new year was starting. So I think the beginning of 2021 was very difficult for a lot of people because we've been kind of consigning this to 2020 and writing off 2020 as being, OK, that's one year. It's one year in my life, which hasn't been great, but it's consigned to one year and maybe now's the time to move on. And then to start 2021 again and to see the numbers skyrocket, which they did for us. Um, and we had a huge, huge increase in cases and deaths after Christmas. I think that was incredibly difficult for people. So what at least the vaccine has done is it's made us be able to look forward a little bit and to see some sort of hope. And also something is now happening. So at least people are, you know, you know, people who are having the vaccine, you can actually start to see change. Um, and it looks as if our vaccine program has been rolled out incredibly well. Um, and so because of that, now our numbers look like they're coming down. So I think that's felt like something's actually happening. Whereas there definitely was a sense of hopelessness before Christmas and just after Christmas, that this was just gonna keep going on. Um, and there wasn't anything to kind of hope for. What has the vaccine rollout uh, been like? When did it start and kind of how does that look over time since we only have a US kind of view of it? Um, I'm curious well, to hear how it's going. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, we've managed our pandemic appallingly, to be honest with you, um, since last February. <laughs> um, so we've had no test and trace system that's not been working. Um, we didn't lock down when we should have locked down. Schools went back too early. University students went back down too early. We didn't lock our borders. 
we've only just introduced a quarantine system for people coming into the country. So people weren't even being tested when they flew into the UK, um, let alone being quarantined. So we have, it's been appallingly managed really throughout the whole of the last kind of like 12 months. But actually the NHS has taken over the control um, of the vaccine rollout. So we've had an incredible vaccine rollout. I think we've got um, 15 million people have now been vaccinated and all the over 70s, 80s and 90s have all been now offered the vaccine. Um, so an awful lot of people have been vaccinated and people in care homes and care home workers have been vaccinated. Some of the NHS frontline staff have been vaccinated. So it is beginning to be quite a success story. Um, the danger is, is that obviously there's new variants arising all the time. So we don't know whether our vaccines are going to particularly cover us from those new variants, but at least we'll have some kind of hopefully spillover effect um, from this vaccine to other, other new variants that come through. Can either of you speak to any uh, barriers from a psychological perspective as far as, uh, I know here in the US at least, there's some mistrust about vaccine. Has there been any kind of barriers there for adoption of uh, individuals wanting to get the vaccine? I mean, there's been a lot of fake news in the same way that you've had it. So there's there's, there's anti-vaxxers in the UK as well as there are in the in the US. I'm not sure there's it's quite such a strong movement. Don't think we, we probably don't lend ourselves to conspiracy theories, perhaps in the same way that people in the US do. Um, but we have got an anti-vax movement, and that's definitely been putting messaging out there. And it looks as if it's been targeting particularly cultural groups, so people who are BAME tend to be more targeted by the anti-vax movement and they seem to be looking like they're more skeptical of an uptake. Um, so we now have some kind of public health initiatives to try and encourage people who are black and Asian to take up the vaccine and to get rid of that kind of fear of it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the feeling is not just in general about anti-vax vaccinations, but also this vaccination happened quite quickly. Um, and so I think that's probably partly where the skepticism came, came from. Um, and then people are people are frightened, and obviously there was all the stories about it, you know, being able to track you or, you know, it being a chip or whatever that were out there. Um, so that has had a bit of an, of an impact. But I guess psychologically, you know, what happens with 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 something like fake news is you just need social norms to change, don't you? So it's a kind of tipping point. Once people you know have had it, and then they look like they're fine, then you can build up your anecdotal stories of, you know, my friend of a friend had it and they were fine, and therefore that will then tip over to people becoming more accepting. So it's had a bit of an impact on the rollout, but not a huge impact as far as I can see. Some other discussions that have happened is a sense of, you know, isolation, uh, the vax uh, and, and the economic cost. Uh, and because of the economic cost of lockdowns, uh, what is the mental health aspect due to deaths and uh, disability over time compared to, you know, the medical uh, risks of, of opening up and having that? Do you guys have any, any sense, at least in the UK, what that looks like? Uh, that argument, uh, kind of, you know, lockdown, behavioral implications, economic yeah. implications versus the health. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there, there was a kind of argument at the beginning where people were polarizing health and economy, weren't they? So it was a kind of a sense you had to address either health or economy. And I think perhaps over time, people have recognized that those are actually the same side of the same coin and that they're not polar opposites and that you actually can't have one without another. So unless we are safe and unless we are well, and unless we have a vaccine program, and unless we look after and protect people, we won't have an economy anyway. Um, so that that polarised argument, I think, started to shift probably about kind of five months ago. Um, but our uh, mental health services are now being absolutely flooded with people who've got mental health problems because of the last um, year. 
and particularly in the young. I mean, looking at the evidence of people who've got sense of isolation and depression, it's very much to do with young people in their 20s who are feeling quite isolated. And that's, you know, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? Their world has been completely changed. Um, and I think that time is a very different thing when you're in your 20s than perhaps when you're in your 70s or in your 80s. So one year feels a lot longer when you're in your 20s. Um, and it's very difficult to know what your future is going to be when there are, you know, employment, unemployment is going to be high. You know, obviously, the, the jobs aren't out there any longer because companies are closing. So and just being on their own, people don't have the resources necessarily in their 20s to survive in the same way. So from what I can see, our, our mental health services have absolutely been flooded in the last six months, particularly. Yes, that is also the case in the United States as far as just the need outweighs um, the, the number of available providers. So I, I have a feeling that's also something worldwide that is having a rippling effect, uh, very much so. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about where some of your future research might be leading? Well, maybe well, at the moment we just, about this. <laughs> we've just done a, a repeated um, a study looking at the repeated effects of nostalgia, gratitude and best possible self. Um, and then, yeah, like I, like I said, that showed that over time that, gratitude, that nostalgia, gratitude and best possible self have a have a bigger impact on reducing fear of COVID-19. Um, but now we're looking at the um, effects of self-persuasion, so people um, writing their own arguments for why they should get vaccinated, um, and if that increases in intention to get vaccinated. Are these with individuals, uh, these samples that uh, are like, they do not want to have the vaccine, or are these individuals kind of in the, uh, not really sure what they want to do? With well, at the moment, it's just con convenient samples, so it's, it's okay. largely students, so they are, they do intend to have the vaccine. Um, okay. I'd imagine we'd recruit a lot less people who don't intend to get the vaccine just because of, of I can see why that would be more difficult. Target. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, interesting. When I did a, study, did a study many, many years ago with a student of mine who was a GP looking at predictors of uptake of vaccines for MMR. Um, and the biggest predictors was having had vaccines before. So it definitely runs in families. It's a kind of mini cultural norm, really, whether you have a vaccination or not. So it'd be interesting to see whether this is the case as well, whether people who didn't have the MMR vaccine then don't want to have um, the COVID vaccine, whether that's one of the biggest predictors. Oh, interesting. That's and great. May, and maybe this is a chance, you know, if we can get everybody vaccinated for this, this is a chance for actually switching um, the cultural norm around vaccination. Because once you've had this, and it's safe for you, that might mean that you then start to break some of that kind of anti-vax language um, because you've had one vaccine. And I think for you know, a lot of people, they have no idea that they haven't got polio because of the polio vaccine or they haven't got TB because of the TB vaccine because we're kind of that middle generation that have been, you know, we're safe because of all of that stuff. Whereas maybe this is the time for the next generation to suddenly realise how important vaccinations are again. Makes a lot of sense. Is there any uh, key uh, elements or things uh, we could leave with to our listeners? Our listeners, the core of them are master's level clinicians here in the US that are uh, direct care individuals. Do you have anything uh, specific you'd like to suggest or several things to them as they think about dealing with clients as we move forward? Because I know many of them are oftentimes questioning you know, the efficacy because clients aren't moving along uh, the continuum of care as usual and kind of redefining that as holding on is good enough rather than having to have progress as we've defined it prior to pandemic. So what, any final thoughts on that? 
I think my, my take on, on, on managing all of this is that no one size ever fits all. Um, and there isn't a, an intervention that's going to work for everybody or for everybody all of the time. So, you know, what psychology can hopefully offer is, is people a, a, a kind of toolkit of different potential strategies that they can just try. Um, and so you do what works for you, don't you? And then you don't give up. If it doesn't work, you try something else. Um, and so that's what this is all this is saying is it's looking at time orientation and maybe for you it is good to look at the past but if that doesn't work then look at the future or look at the present or or just you know find other ways of coping but it's about managing isn't it it's not about necessarily being happy it's about being fine and I suppose that's what I often say to my students as well is that expectations are often sky high that life should be just fabulous and actually a lot of the time it isn't fabulous it's just fine and this is going to be one of those times of your life where life is going to be fine. And so do whatever you can to just make it fine. And that's OK. So lower your expectations, I suppose, and then just try what will work for you. And if that doesn't work, just try something else. Yeah, I agree with Jane. I mean, we said we found that gratitude and best possible self works best, but that doesn't mean it works best for everybody. I think it's best to do the, the intervention or the, the ways of coping that you that you most enjoy. Those were very, uh, very helpful, I think, uh, reframing as far as the expectations and, and lowering them. And you make an excellent point about how uh, everyone sometimes thinks life is wonderful. Uh, I know, especially on social media, that can come into play with comparing yourself to others. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Well, I think that there's just an expectation. There's a false expectation, isn't there, that we should be happy that you know we should all be in love we should all be having fun we should all be you know life should be brilliant um you know we should be the best version of ourselves or we should find our passion or should we we should follow what it is that we really want to be in life and i think a lot of those kind of you know that that language that we have in our help in our heads particularly for young people is actually quite stressful so you might not know what your passion is or you might not know what you love or your life might be a bit boring or your relationships might just be a bit kind of okay and just you know trudging along or it might be a bit rubbish and and I think that's what people need to know is that life is a mixed bag um and that that is what life is um I mean on on our campus we used to have signs which we used to say wonderful things happen here as you came onto campus and I think no 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 don't expect <laughs> wonderful things to always happen here you know wonderful things will happen but life will happen and life is sometimes difficult um and I think you know, because of partly social media, which now exacerbates that because everyone just puts their best foot forward the whole time. So we don't post things about boredom or, or tedium or fed upness or, or loneliness. We just post times when we're feeling beautiful and wonderful and life is great. So it's about being skeptical of all those, knowing that those, knowing that those images are nonsense and knowing that people are presenting their lives in a totally, you know, fake kind of way. And then looking at your own life and the lives of you around you to get a kind of better benchmark of what to expect from life um, and just downgrading those expectations and, and being happy, content with fine sometimes is, is good enough. Absolutely. And you are correct. No doubt it is a highlight reel. So that is a great perspective for, for everyone to keep in mind. Well, thank you ladies so much for joining us. Uh, we definitely invite you to come back on the Barrier Breakdown for any of your future research to discuss uh, with our listeners. We find it fascinating what you were doing. So we appreciate you very much taking the time to be with us here today. You're very welcome. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners to tuning in to the Barrier Breakdown. We hope you all stay safe and healthy. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast. 
check out our website at cbrcenterforeducation.com for more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events.